What a great song to uh, lead into our time in God's Word, uh, because we've been talking about what it is to have confidence in God, to not just believe in Him, but to actually believe Him, which requires trust and confidence. And what a great song that just really declares the nature, the character of this God that we get to call Abba Father. Amen? And yet, in light of world circumstances and maybe the circumstances in your life as you sit here, uh, sometimes your confidence can be shaken. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have these moments. We talked about last Sunday when uh, uh, the Israelites and the Philistines uh, were facing each other and, and uh, Goliath came out and, and the army of Israel for 40 days cowered as he sort of intimidated them, right? And, and then David comes up and says, who's this guy? Right? And it's a matter of focus, and, and the army of Israel, including, you know, the king, were, were, were really paralyzed in fear because they had taken their eyes off of God. And along comes David, and he says, well, you know, the God who took care of me out in the fields, he's going to take care of me with this. And it was a matter of focus. It was a matter of confidence. It was a matter of trust. And we're going to continue that, that theme this morning, and, and my prayer for us is, is really um, that God would open your eyes, my eyes, to, to what it means to believe him, to trust, to have confidence, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through this morning, whatever, uh, if you're here or you're at home or you're listening during the week, just take a, take a few moments. Just think of the past week and things that happened, celebratory and, and maybe challenging, and, and how is your confidence level? How is your joy, right? We've talked about the relationship between confidence and joy as we started the book of Philippians. Just kind of do an assessment. How is your confidence in God this week, and how is your joy as a result, okay? Uh, yesterday, we, we had an opportunity to, to move Vinny uh, into his apartment down in uh, USC, uh, right off campus, and uh, part of that journey was the privilege and joy of uh, L.A. traffic, Right? And uh, went down there early enough to barely miss it. Just caught some right around uh, Exposition Boulevard right as we're coming into downtown. And then uh, moved in, went out to lunch, and left there about uh, 1 2 o'clock. And any of you ever look at Google Maps? And you, you punch in where you are to where you want to get home. And it's red. And, you know, and then you go to all the alternate routes and you're, you know, like if you're like me, you're trying to get home and you're like, okay. And, and so, you know, we had to deal with, with, with that. And, you know, um, it was interesting because I'm sitting there and, and it's amazing. I mean, right? Many of you go to LA regularly and isn't it amazing? You're sitting there in five lanes, full stop for as far as the eye can see. Isn't that amazing? Because we live in Ojai, right? And it's like two lanes right here. And we're kind of used to, you know, not much traffic here. But you're in, you're in LA traffic on the 101, and I'm like, how is this possible? Right? And I have to be careful because I can lose focus. Right? You're right? Amen, right? You're like, how is this possible that all five lanes are stopped? Right? And, and so I'm working through that, and, and then I step back, and I think, you know, and then I'm like, well, okay, I guess I can prep the message. I'm going to be here for a while. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about confidence, and, and it dawned on me, when you drive through L.A., and really any time you drive, even coming here to, to church, think about this, don't we exhibit a very high degree of confidence in other drivers? Think about that. 
right? Even in, even in Ojai with our one lane each way, and, it's, and for those of you who've been driving for quite a while, you do it so many, that, so many times now that you don't even think about the degree of confidence you have in other drivers, not in your own self. Now, many of you feel like I'm a good driver, but it's not about you. Think about that. Even when you leave here, whether you turn left or right, maybe even in the parking lot, you are saying, I have confidence in the other drivers to obey this, you know, the laws, to stay in their lane, to be skilled. You are exhibiting a very, very high degree of trust, of confidence. And then, you know, you think about this when you're in LA and you happen to not catch traffic and all five lanes are going 80. You ever been, right, even the s- slow lane at times in LA, right, you're getting tailgated in the slow lane going 70. I'm like, dude, I'm in the slow lane. So even, even if you think about that, you're going 75 driving this hunk of metal and you are exhibiting extreme confidence in other people that you don't even know. You don't even know if they're licensed. You don't even know if they're insured. But you're out there going 75, 80 behind, you know, in control of this hunk of metal and you're just zipping around and we do it so much and so often that we don't even realize what I'm saying to everyone else is, I have confidence in you. I have confidence in you. I have confidence in you, right? And so you think about that in your relationship with God. Do we operate daily with that same level of trust and confidence in God, who's indescribable, uncontainable, right? And, and we're talking about that in light of uh, Philippians. We've started Philippians, got to verse 6, and we've seen that the theme of Philippians is joy, right? Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then we saw that really Paul, Paul's joy is really directly related to his confidence in God, his confidence. We're going to read Philippians 1, 6 to 11. It says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may, you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we've camped, we've been camped on verse six. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you follow the Apostle Paul's writings, in, as we'll see in the book of Philippians, the undercurrent is joy rooted in confidence. Rooted in confidence. He, he has settled some issues. He has driven the stake in the ground based on his experiences with the Lord and his theology. The Apostle Paul, if you catch, catch his heart and his confidence throughout Philippians, it's almost infectious. You're like, wow, I want to get to that place where I'm just solid. I'm just saying things with conviction and with courage, right? R.C. Sproul says this, It is one thing to believe in God. It is quite another to believe God. 
And we've seen this, right? That even in the church, it's easy to say a lot of things that we believe in. And yet when you leave here and life happens today, tomorrow, it's not so much what, just what you believe in, it's do you believe? Do you trust? Are you confident in that moment? I know what you believe in, but do you believe in that moment? Who God is? Are you confident in that moment, right? Do you believe what you say you believe? And we've seen this, this journey, and, it, and it's really important, and this is one of those moments I shared with the, the leadership team this morning, that Philippians, chronologically, Philippians was written after First and Second Corinthians and Romans. So what you're getting is this confident Paul, this courageous Paul, this man of conviction writing Philippians, this letter to the believers in Philippi, after his journey through Corinthians and Romans, right? And we've seen before in 2 Corinthians, we saw this last week, he says this, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. We shared and covered this last week, right? He's sharing a very personal time where, you know what? He was going through it. Anyone ever get to the place in your life where you thought, this is it. We're done. End of the rope. Right? You feel like it's a death sentence. Like, uh, there's no way out of it. That's where he was. And yet, through this personal experience, what does he say? He says, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. Last week, we talked about how God used this circumstance in his life to strip away Paul's over-self-reliance, over-self-confidence, and how challenging that is in our culture when you go onto YouTube and you go to self-help and all this, where our culture really, really and, and, and inspires you, wants to. And I'm not saying it's bad at a certain level, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. But if you take it too far, you can get so motivated to be self-reliant and self-confident that you don't even need God anymore. That's the danger from a biblical perspective on this, right? I watch the guys, many of the guys on YouTube. I get it. I know what you guys are watching. And it's inspiring. It's motivating. It might help you be more disciplined. It might help you overcome fears and insecurities. I get all that. Except when you take it too far, and the best version of yourself no longer needs God. That's the challenge in our culture. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, hey, you know what? I went through it. We thought we were going to die. We were at the end of our rope. But God had a plan. And his plan was to get me to stop relying on myself. And sometimes we can become our own best, our own worst enemies. You know why? Not because you're making horrible decisions or living a sinful life. It's because you're successful. And you got street smarts. And you got academic intellect. And you've made it up the corporate ladder. You've pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. You're no longer dependent on others. You've retained that sort of American value, that dream, and now you're a self-made man or a self-made woman, and you kind of did it. Yeah, that's, that's really challenging when you come to this passage when we kind of learned last Sunday, 
We're not to be relying on ourselves. That's a dangerous place to be. And that really, we can still pursue excellence. We can even still pursue success, if you want to define it that way. But you can do it out of a reliance on God. Amen? Out of a confidence that comes from him, motivated by what? A desire to glorify him. You can still pursue that. Okay? We're not saying that, that, that there's anything necessary wrong with that, except if your motive and your focus is wrong. Psalm 118, we saw, said this. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And you know, I think about this verse in light of even the pandemic in the last year or so, because what has happened? Many of us don't know who to trust or put our confidence in anymore. So this is, this is such a, a powerful, relevant, uh, biblical, you know, sort of topic to be, to be meditating on and applying because many people have had your confidence shaken in authority, in the government, and people you, th- you just don't know anymore where to put your confidence, and, and you're finding out, many people are finding out, it's like trying to hold on to water, you hold it, and it's going through your hands, you're like, what, but this, and this, and I saw it on the internet, and I read this, and my friend said this, and you're looking, and you're looking all at the human level for confidence, and God's like, look at me, find your confidence first and foremost in me, Right, And that may be part of the journey that you are on here or at home. Maybe this journey the last year has been more of a stripping away because you put yourself in a place of putting confidence in other things. Not that you're evil or, or a bad Christian, but over time, quite honestly, especially in prosperous America, what is our confidence in? Savings account, 401k, ourselves, our health right? There's a lot of good things, if we're not careful, that can start to compete for the object of our confidence. And this last year or so may have just been a bit of a stripping away and God challenging you personally, or you as a couple, or you as a family, say, okay, Lord, do I really have confidence in you first and foremost? Are you my primary object of confidence? Okay, Jeremiah 17 But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. I love that word picture for those who choose to put their trust in the Lord. Right? What a great word picture. I would love to be like that. I'm guessing you would too, even in the midst of this current situation and whatever the fall and into 2022 holds, I would love to be like a tree planted by the riverbank. Amen? Right? But it begins with confidence, trusting God first and foremost. And so back in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am sure, I am confident, I am certain that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He, God, who began a good work in you, believers, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? What, what does that mean? He who began a good work will bring it to completion. What, what's he talking about? And we're going to look at that a little bit today because, like I said, Philippians was written after uh, Corinthians and Romans. And so what he's kind of referring to here in Philippians 1.6 is God's great plan of salvation. He who began it, its salvation is going to complete it through sanctification. 
Okay, so we're going to look at Romans, and you know, they may call it the Romans road, but God's plan is salvation. Just some Romans road verses, right? Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So when he says, what did he begin? Well, it begins at salvation. This incredible salvation. God's plan of salvation through faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. And then Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Did you realize that? Like, as you sit here, in Christ, if you're a believer, there is no condemnation. You are justified. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So it begins at salvation, right? You put your faith in Christ. You're saved. You become a child of God, no longer any, under any condemnation, right? Positional, powerful truths. Born again. New spirit. Holy spirit, right? And then, in sanctification, look at Romans 8, 28 to 30. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In a nutshell, here's what it is. There's a God's plan of salvation. And then once you're in his family, it's his plan of sanctification for you. And what is his plan of sanctification in a nutshell for those 28 to 30? He says, you know what? I, God, will work everything for your good to conform you to the image of my son. Everything. Everyone say everything. everything. Right? Eileen, put it up again one more time. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Everyone say all things. All okay? Everyone say all things. All work, together work together for good. Okay. Now think about that thing this week. Think about it. That person, that thing. In light of that truth. Because according to this, God's plan of sanctification for you and for me is all things, I would say all things, work together for good. What's his good? To use it ultimately to, to conform you to the image of his son Jesus. Amen? All things. That's God's plan. All things work for my good and your good as his child to conform you to the image of Jesus for his glory. Are you confident in that? I don't know what happened this week. If your world went like this, boop. If it did, or maybe just halfway, right? In that moment, were you confident that God was going to work this for the good? Not that it was good. Might have been horrific. Might have been very challenging. Might have been exasperating. Might have like, I'm going to die, right? So I can get one of those moments. But Underlying all of that, were you confident? Did you believe God that he would work that issue for your good 
in the big picture. Hmm. Hmm. So how do we get there? How do we, how do we continue to layer and deepen and strengthen our confidence, our belief? that all things work together for my good, for your good as a child of God. How do, you, how do you layer that? Because a lot of us are probably more like Paul. You remember when Paul in uh, Corinthians, when he had the thorn, right? And the, the, whatever we don't know, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but he prayed three times for God to take it away. And what did God say three times? No. Right? Because God had a plan to teach him to trust him, Right? But if you are like me, and I'm guessing many of you are, when certain things happen, very challenging things happen in my life, I'm like Paul in Corinthians. How many of you just pray, God, take this away? Right? Our first course is, God, take this away. Why do I have to deal with this again? Right? We want it taken away. We don't necessarily say, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to work this for my good. What a radical difference, isn't it? Think about it, this week, today, maybe before you put your head down on your pillow, something happens, and immediately you go to pray and say, God, okay, I have confidence, according to Romans 8, 28, that you are going to work this for my good, according to your plan. Versus, God, take this away. Please take this away. I don't have, you know, this is stressing me out. I'm too tired, right? How radical would your life change, my life change? How radical would your confidence build over time if whatever happens you stopped and instead of saying lord take this away you said lord i trust that you're going to work this for my good you're going to use this ultimately to make me more and more like jesus and more reliant on you for your glory right and so we're going to walk through romans 8 31 to 39 in the next few weeks because paul actually gives us some really clear principles foundations on which to build our confidence how many of you here would love to build your confidence? You're just, not just believe in. I'm not going to give you more things to believe in, but just believe. Just daily walk in confidence. Wake up and go, I'm confident. Because I think even sometimes, you know, you hear us say around here, hey, you were on the winning team. Hey, your name is written in the book of life. And yet, how many of us wake up in the morning with sort of this confidence and this sort of Lord, let's go get this day. I trust you for whatever happens today versus, Lord, please don't let it be such a bad day today. Lord, please help me through whatever may happen today. Right? How many of us sort of like we begin the day sort of with fear and trepidation and insecurity and anxiety for what may happen today? You know? Versus, Father, I'm confident. No matter what happens today, you're going to work it for my good. Amen? What a radical difference. What a radical difference that would make in your joy, in your disposition, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, at work, if you just entered the day with more confidence and believing God's going to work it all for your good. Amen? Okay, so how do we get there? What do we do? Well, in Romans 8.31, he says this. What then shall we say to these things? What are these things? All of Romans, Romans 3 to 8, his plan of salvation, and then specifically in context, Romans 28 to 30. What shall we say to these things? What things? God's plan of salvation and God's plan of sanctification. What should we say? 
Well, really what we should say is hallelujah. That's what we should say, right? But then he says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I, or Jordan, leave it. <laughs> you guys like play musical chairs back there. Leave that up. Because this is, this is where we're going to camp today. You want to be more confident? You want to wake up and say, boom? Okay, here's your boom statement for this week. What shall we say to these things? God's plan of salvation, God's plan of sanctification. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, many of you have heard this for many, many years if you've been a believer. It's challenging. And we're looking at the second phrase after the question, not what shall we say to these things. This, we're looking at the second phrase. If God is for us, who can be against us? Why is that challenging? That little word, if. Because it doesn't mean uncertainty or it's a possibility. I think that word, if, has caused a lot in the church a little bit of, oh, is God going to ever, oh, I'm by myself, right? That word, if, should actually be, in our language, since or because. So if you have your Bibles and you're comfortable writing in them, whatever, what it should say, because that word if is a word of certainty. It's a word of certainty, not uncertainty or possibility, right? It's kind of like if, you, if, you, if I'm talking to someone before church and, and uh, I, you hear me say, hey, after church, I'm going to Costco. I'm going to pick up some things. And then Mark comes up to me. He says, hey, if you're going to Costco, can you get something for me too? He's not wondering if I'm going. It's, hey, since you're going to Costco, or because you're going to Costco, can you save me a trip? He knows I'm going. That word, if, you've got to drill into your heart and mind, it is a word of certainty. Change it to since or because. Now let's say, go ahead, put it up, Jordan. Now the uh, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? Because or since God is for us, who can be against us? Does it change it for you? Since God is for us, who can be against us? Because God is for us, who can be against us? It's not a question of uncertainty. It's a statement. That first part of that second phrase there is a statement. Because God is for us. Since God is for us, okay? You gotta take the time, right? Because that word if, many of us still are unsure about a lot of things in our faith. I'm, I'm, you might still be young in the Lord and you're just trying to figure this out or you might have been church in decades and you've not driven the stake in the ground and you're still iffy. And that iffiness, if, that iffiness is affecting your confidence and it's affecting your joy because you're still iffy. This is not an iffy statement. This is a bold declaration. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Jordan, put that back up. And it says, who can be against us? Right? Now, some of you go, okay, wait. There's a lot of people against us, isn't there? Right? There's Satan and all the demons. There's the culture. There's the world. I turn on the TV, they're against Christian values, right? Look at the education system. It's all against us, right? I got some people in the church who seem to be against me, right? 
What does it mean who can be against us? That is not what that means either. It is not a statement that we have no opposition. What he's saying is that because God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. It doesn't matter. Nobody or nothing can thwart God's plan of salvation or his plan of sanctification for you. Amen? That's a powerful truth to wake up to. Because God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. I'm on the winning side. Amen? Right? If God is for us, all right, who can be, who's the us? Who's the us? Believers. Okay, personalize this. Who's the us? Me. Right? Me. Because God is for me, what difference does it make who's against me? Nobody or nothing can thwart God's plan for me. You win. We win. We're on the winning team. Because since God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. God's going to fulfill his plan for my life and your life. Amen? We've got to take the time to really, that phrase right there, we'll say it together. Because God is for me, who can be against me? You got to make it real. See, if you live, I mean, there's nothing wrong. If God is for us, but then you live in the world of broad generalities. I encourage you this week, personalize that. Because God is for Mark. In fact, let's say this. I'm going to say because God is for, and you guys say your name with as confident or as boldly as you feel. Okay? Because God is for. Okay, so that was like here on sort of the confidence. What? It's you, right? It's the us, it's you. You put your faith in Jesus, this applies to you. Why can't you claim this? It's right there. It's his word. You got to claim this for you, right? Okay, because God is for? See, it's funny. When you say it with them, you say it, then you go. Own it. Own it. Because God is for? Who can be against? Meaning, what difference does it make? God's going to fulfill his plan for you. The devil, the world, the culture, they can't stop God's plan for you. Because why? He works all things for the good. And what's the worst case? They kill you, and the worst case, you're in heaven. I mean, I would like to be on planet Earth longer, but the worst case, right? I'm, my time is up according to God's plan for my time being up. And okay, I guess I got to go to heaven. 
Which goes back to why we have a series on heaven and have had because many of us don't know our theology about heaven and we somehow, because we don't know what the Bible teaches about heaven, we don't look forward to heaven and we sort of camp here on earth. All right? And just kind of like a side note, but because God is for, who can be against? See? Some of you just need to say that when you wake up in the morning. And then an hour later. And then an hour later. And then an hour later. You need to get it that God is for you. God is for you. Right? He is. He is. Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why? Because God is for me. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nothing can thwart or defeat God's plan for you. Nothing. Nobody. Why? Because he's for you. He's for you. That's where you get your confidence. Back in 1981, there was a wonderful movie, Chariots of Fire. See, look, oh yeah, Chariots of Fire, right? It's based on the true story of two British athletes in the 1924 Olympics. One of the, one of the runners was Eric Liddell. He was a devout Scottish Christian running for the glory of God. The challenging part, one of the lines in the Chariots of Fire was that Liddell discovered that the heats for his 100-meter race were on a Sunday. And he had the conviction that he wasn't going to run on the Lord's day. And he, the movie details the immense pressure he felt from his government and the Olympic Committee, and yet he stuck to his convictions. He was confident. He had convictions and courage, right? And it's interesting because, you know, that's a, a famous movie, great song, right? Very iconic, right? But many people don't even, may not, you may not realize that Chariots of Fire is, comes from the Bible. There's a story where the king of Syria is trying to capture uh, Elisha, the prophet, and he hears that he's in a city called Dothan, right? So the king of Syria sends his army at night to surround this city to try to capture Elisha the prophet. And this is where it comes from, 2 Kings 6.14. So he, the king of Syria, so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, when so Elisha's servant wakes up, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He's freaking out. Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I'm seeing the servant's like, what, uh, dude, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, you, you see that? We're surrounded. That's the, that's the Syrian army around us. What are you talking about? Those who are with us are more than them. I don't see any other thems, right? What are you talking about? And he says this. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, 
Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Amen? There's a supernatural act of God where Elisha says, Lord, let him see. Let him see the real deal. Let him see the spiritual reality. Servant sees the king, the Syrian army. God opens his eyes, and suddenly he sees the angelic army, the chariots of fire. See, that is my heart for you. That is my heart for you at home, that you would see that God is for you. See, right now in our world, in our culture, maybe in your life, whatever's going on, you see the army surrounding you. And the odds are not in your favor. And you're scared. And you're overwhelmed. And you're afraid. And that's it. We're done. No escape. Expect to die here. This is it, I guess. And my prayer has been this week for you, for you at home, that God would open your eyes to see his spiritual reality. That you would see his chariots of fire. And what are his chariots of fire? Romans 8.31, God is for you. That's a spiritual reality. That's a spiritual reality. See, a lot of us in our spiritual growth and maturity, we have to get past being circumstance driven, being feelings driven, being the reality of the world driven. And we need to get up in the morning and we need to be spiritual reality driven. Amen? We need to take hold of God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit, claim God's truth on the front end of the day and move into the day in spiritual reality and spiritual truth and spiritual power. Amen? We need, I mean, maybe to you, you see that and you're like, oh God, yes, open my eyes. Maybe that's a great prayer for you, for you at home, just to say, Lord, open my eyes that I can see spiritual reality. Please open my eyes. Because I'm consumed with my finances. I'm consumed with this. I'm consumed with that. I feel like I'm surrounded by this army. God, what I really need is to do you to do for me what you did for his servant. Open my eyes that I can see your chariots of fire in my life. Open my eyes, right? I love this quote by uh, Dr. Boyce. It says, It is as if Paul is challenging us to place all the possible enemies we can think of on one half of an old-fashioned balance scale, as if we are weighing peanuts. Then, when we have all the peanuts assembled on the scale, he throws an anvil onto the other side of the balance. That side comes crashing down, and the peanuts are scattered. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is nobody. So in your life, you got all the peanuts, and it's weighing you down, and you're scared, and all of a sudden, boom, drop the God anvil. Boom, God is for you. That's a spiritual reality. That's a spiritual reality, quite honestly, that might require you and me to turn off social media, to turn off all the noise, and to get alone and quiet before God so that he can open your eyes without all the distractions of this world. You need to get to the place 
where it's so quiet that you can hear God's voice through his word and spirit. And maybe then, even in prayer, he'll open your eyes to see his chariots of fire for you, for you. C.S. Lewis says, you never know how much you really believe until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death. And I think for many of us, current situation in the last year and what might lead into the fall and into the new year, we don't know. But I will tell you this, so many people in this country, in this church, in this world, circumstances have challenged your belief on many levels because you've been stretched and maybe you're insecure, you're scared, the unknown really got you. And really what God's wanting you to do is believe him. Trust him. Have confidence in him. Okay? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, in all that he does, he prospers. So here's the application for us. This phrase from Romans eight thirty one, God is for me. See, in Psalm 1, it talked about biblical meditation, and we talked about this before. Biblical meditation is not emptying the mind, it's filling the mind with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. What many of us, what I want to challenge you to do and what I have done, is meditate on those four words. God is for me. Biblical meditation is to just play it over and over. Ponder it. Look at it from different angles. Ask God to show you and speak truth to you. It's not racing through it because here's the thing. I challenge you to take one word at a time because the truth is there's four words up there, but one of those words might actually resonate and be the word for you and not the word for the person next to you. So not that you don't do well, but let me explain this to you. Like, first word, God. Kirk Cloninger says, show me what someone's view of God is, and I'll show you how they live their lives. What's your view of God? When was the last time you spent Anytime pondering God. We just sang about him, but the biblical teaching of God's attributes, his promises, like God, the nature of God. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. Maybe someone here needs, that's, that's the word, God. You need to ponder God in your life. Nothing is too hard for you, really? You believe that? Really? Has that sunk in? Maybe somebody here or at home, it's God that you, he's saying, today, I want you to meditate on me for as long as it takes. God, the nature of God, calling him Abba, Father. What, who is God? God of the universe, spoke it all into creation, all powerful, all knowing, all present. God. When was the last time you just meditated on God, right? That's just word one. 
And then we get is. Is? You want me to think about is? I get God, but is? How am I supposed to meditate on is? Well, is is present tense. It's not God was for me. It's not God will be for me. It's present tense, like right now, 1101. God is. He is the great I am. He is ever present, amen? He is, he is, he is. When you get the text, he is. When you get the mail, he is. When you get the diagnosis, he is. Is, right? Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is. When was the last time you just meditated on is? Is. 24-7, 365, you can't get away from him. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? He is. He is intimately always involved in your life. He is. Is. Amen? Somebody here, I think you need, might need to ponder is. Because when things happen in your life, it's easy to forget that he is. Well, he was last week. When things were going good, things are going bad. I think he was. And then when things get better, I think he will be. But in this valley, I'm, it is, he is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? He is. He's, he is. He is. Four. Okay. You want me to meditate on Four. Four? What does that mean? Well, that's a pretty positive word, amen? Because if he's not for, he's against. He's for you. We saw this in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. He's on your side. I think the simplicity of that is what gets us, I think. He's on your side all the time as his child. Even the Bible says he disciplines those he loves because he's for you. He's for you. I think sometimes some, some believers in the church, we pick up this idea that God is, he loves me, but he's against me because he's making my life real hard. And it's just a battle till I get to go home and meet Jesus. It's just battling. I'm battling God. I'm battling. God is for you. God is for you. He's on your side. When we say that God is good and all the time, you know what that means? That's a declaration of, of one of God's attributes. In God's goodness, not only is he the essence of goodness, it means that he's always desiring good for his kids. Because he's good, he is always desiring our good as his children. When was the last time you pondered four? Four. And then, me. Me. And I, I want to be careful here because this, this one might be kind of tough. Because some may have grown up 
and you were never picked for the team. And you didn't measure up to your older siblings. And you heard a lot of negativity and you never knew if I mattered, just me. Was I, was I important? Was I significant? Did anyone love me just for me? And so I want to be very careful because some may need to spend time getting to the place of believing that God is for me, little old me. Little old me who messed up this week and little old me who, who doesn't go and preach and doesn't do worship and doesn't do anything really big in the church. Little old me, right? I understand that. I, I want to be very careful because it's very sensitive because there's many in the church. You can amen and you can hoorah that God is for the pastors and the guys up front and then go to Mexico and build a house. God is for them, for the but, I don't know if it's really for me. Yeah, because I never got picked on the team. and No one ever seemed to notice me. And now you're telling me that the God of the universe is for me? That's weighty. But I'm going to tell you, pastorally and with all the love in my heart, it can be so liberating for you to believe that. It really can. Because I think some have lived in bondage and lies and oppression. And I think maybe today God wants you to know that he is for you. He is. Little old you. Little old you. Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, present tense, children of God. And because we are children of God, God is for, God is for me. And so, what do you want to call it? Application, homework, those four words. Spend time. Like I said, I'm guessing with the numbers that are here and the numbers that are at home, those words are hitting people differently. Maybe all four of them. Maybe one is just like, whoa. Wow. Is for me? Take the time. Because as you do this, it's what we call appropriating you're, you're, you're appropriating it. You're, you're bringing it into your biblical worldview of you. Right? It's becoming your spiritual reality. You're beginning to incorporate spiritual truth and reality into how you now operate on this planet. That's maturity. That's sanctification. Okay, so if you're a believer, take the time this week. God is for And then if you're still seeking and you're still searching and you're not sure, right? We saw in Romans, the Romans road, how do you know that God is for you? Because you believe in Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you can claim that. God is for me. The challenging part is if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, 
that relationship still needs to be reconciled. There still needs to be reconciliation. Romans 5.8, God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's when two parties who were against each other are now one. And when you put your faith in Jesus, now there's a four. But until that time, it's an against. But how do you know that God is for you? Jesus. The great God is for you is right there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the great for. And that is the great invitation to be reconciled. And when you're reconciled, then we begin this journey together of appropriating these radical, incredible, confident, inspiring truths that God is for me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Father, I'm asking as only you can do supernaturally that you would open our hearts and our minds to spiritual reality, spiritual truth, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word. For those of us in Christ, those who have put our faith in you, Father, thank you that you are for us. And I pray, whatever, whatever application is, God is for me, that you would be speaking to individual, individual believers at this very moment because you know us and you know what we need. And then for those, Father, who are still wrestling and maybe have never put their faith in Jesus, I pray that they would understand the spiritual reality that you are for them because you sent Jesus and that there can be reconciliation through faith in Jesus, that they are adopted into your family, that they now are on the winning side, God's side, and that nothing, nothing can defeat us. Nothing. doesn't matter who's against us. We win. In Jesus, we win.